is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Rob Wainwright. Rob Wainwright is the director of Europol. So, Rob, first things first, maybe we think we know what Europol is and does. What, what actually does Europol do? Well, what it's not, and a lot of people think it is, is the European FBI. We have no powers of arrest. But we are, uh, I think, uh, a very important information hub, a platform to connect a community now of 700 law enforcement agencies right across Europe and indeed many other countries that we're working with, sharing intelligence every day, coordinating operations against some of the most dangerous criminal and um, terrorist groups operating in Europe. So uh, I think a very modern part of the way in which law enforcement is responding to these highly challenging threats. Okay, so we want to talk about technology in particular. We only have a few minutes. We can't cover everything, but I know you're very exercised about the, the, the rise of technology and uh, how it can be used for nefarious as well as for good, uh, for good purposes. Can you give me a, a sense of where, where your biggest worries are, where technology is helping the bad guys to get their way? Of course, the Internet, and it's the way in which the Internet is being used by terrorists, for example, and the way the Islamic State is... Uh, uh, managing to uh, uh, establish a, a strong propaganda base across the internet, across social media platforms, over 20 of them actually active, and to recruit people as well. But then on the other side, of course, cyber crooks, cyber criminals that are developing ever more sophisticated uh, lines of, of attack, um, different kind of malicious uh, codeware which is attacking our banking, our bankers, um, um, and also our, our, our customers and our, and our society. So I think we're, I'm concerned about the extent to which the internet has become a principal instrument for facilitating uh, organized crime and terrorism. So therefore, you, you yourself as an enforcement agency, you can use technology to help you know, do your job more effectively, but at the same time you must be very mindful of the fact that the other side are also using the same technology. Yes, I, I would say that, that we are concerned that technology is abused by our criminals. At the same time, we, like other parts of society, celebrate the fact that technology is a force for incredible good in society. Uh, and it's our job in the police world to protect those benefits from being abused in that way. So I want to make that very clear because we're not in the business, therefore, of wanting to ban technology or encryption. Absolutely not. So, but it is about making sure, therefore, that we can mitigate the consequences of technology being turned against us. Uh, and that means, I think, that we in the law enforcement community have to up our game in terms of developing digital forensic analytical capability. Uh, we have to rely more and more on industry partners, the tech firms who can help us deal with these sophisticated crime capabilities that are out there as well. But we need also regulation and the lawmakers to help us to legislate for the fact that sometimes police need access to sensitive data online in a proportionate way, and, and that's, that's the challenge that we have at the moment. Well, before we move on to the sensitive area of data, which I'm sure we will do before the end of this conversation, um, to what extent can, can industry play a part in, ten, in the sense of actually offering solutions, not just waiting to be asked for their, their input? How do you, as an agency and other policymakers in the broader security environment, uh, bring to the table the expertise and the, and the uh, innovations of the tech sector broadly? We have a very enterprising model of Europol. The European Cybercrime Centre has a huge um, part of it that, of, of industry partners, the tech firms, helping us to deal with botnets on a massive scale, for example. And, and some of the companies like Microsoft are instrumental in doing that, in that work. Uh, in, in combating the IS propaganda online, we have very uh, effective relations with all the major social media partners as well. So these are positive examples of the way in which industry is helping me. There's a wider debate about encryption, we know that, yeah. uh, and that's, that's a more challenging area to get right. But there's one other 
area of follows very important here, which is as the pace of technological development increases, as we see ever more new devices coming on stream, whether or not they are the Internet of Things, for example, artificial intelligence, um, cryptocurrencies, what I'm not seeing is an approach by industry around security by design. So point in which they're designing the systems, are we thinking at that point about what are the security implications for these new, this new technology being turned against? I'm not seeing that. At the moment it's designed through convenience and through profit making. I would like to see the security being a bit more of a principal reason why and how we develop these systems and new technologies in the first place. So therefore what you're saying is, that, if I'm putting words in your mouth, is that the encryption uh, conundrum is best solved by industry itself rather than waiting for industry to, to be regulated or whatever and, uh, and, and rail against that kind of level of regulation. They themselves should take the lead and, and, in, in, and introduce their own encryption by design. Well, I, I think... Uh, I deliberately didn't say encryption by design. I think there are. I think security can security can, by design. Security okay. by design is a principle, like privacy by design, <coughs> that should have some equal billing here in how we set about developing our technology. On encryption, I think it's not just a, a burden for industry to share. I think law enforcement has to adapt to that and find different ways of investigating as well. But I do think there's an opportunity under the right kind of regulation for the best minds of Silicon Valley, the best minds of law enforcement, to work together to develop the right kind of tools for the police under certain regulated circumstances to decrypt the, t the communications of terrorists, for example. Okay, I'd like to move on in our time available still uh, to the UK referendum on, on membership of the European Union. As you know, both sides, the Leave and the Remain campaign, uh, campaigns have been talking about security as well as a key element of why we should either remain or stay inside the European Union um, uh, or leave the European Union. I just wonder what, from your perspective, couldn't one argue that even if the UK were to leave the European Union, uh, people like you would still be talking to the UK, your UK counterparts, UK authorities about uh, security intelligence, about data sharing, etc., etc. That would not change even in, even if there were Brexit. Well, it wouldn't change in, in headline terms in the sense that Britain is such an important security partner in Europe that would continue. The question is, how would it change? Because inevitably it would. Um, and I'm concerned about the extent to which uh, Britain's access to instruments in the EU at the moment that over the last 10 years have become a fundamental part of the way in which Britain and other European member states safeguard its citizens and its borders. I'm concerned about that being diminished somehow because there are legal, political, technical reasons which quite simply will not allow a non-EU member state to have the same access that, as Britain currently enjoys. Uh, in, in, in the, the, the law around Europe was very clear, for example. That we, although we do uh, partner with Norway, Iceland, the United States, they, they, there is a second-tier membership. They don't have direct access to our database. They can't lead over any of our intelligence projects. There are other EU instruments, uh, other instruments so important to our border security, like the Schengen Information System, in which there is no precedent for a country that, Europe, that Britain would then find itself to be in, having still having access to that, and that would have a serious effect on on the ability of British border officials to identify the wrong type of people at the point in which they try and enter in, uh, the, the, the UK. So all I'm saying is the sky's not going to move in. I think Britain will uh, negotiate good access. I think that access will be useful. I'm sure it would. It might even be a pretty good deal for Britain. It, it is not going to be as good as it is now. That's my point. And, and it's the size of that gap between now and then that concerns me and the uncertainty in the negotiation, how long it would take, which potentially has a negative impact on Britain's security. Okay, but in broader terms, we, we keep hearing also that when it comes to migration, border checks, 
the whole security de debate currently in Europe, that member states themselves have difficulty coming to a, a common view in certain, you know, certain key sensitive areas. To what extent do you think that if the UK were to vote to remain inside the European Union in, in three or four weeks' time, that somehow that debate could be could be uh, advanced in a more robust way? Because at the moment, it's just from an outside perspective, it looks like the, the EU, fairly or unfairly, cannot get its act together, quote unquote. Well, certainly 2015 was a, was a huge stress test on, on the Schengen area. There's no doubt about that. And we're doing something about that to fortify the external, external border especially. We shouldn't forget, by the way, that the Schengen Agreement, although it established freedom of movement, which citizens and businesses enjoy every day now, of course, also was a security agreement. Very important to recognize that, that the architects of Schengen also made sure they built in a lot of features to compensate for the fact that we would have freedom of movement. That's where the Schengen information system comes from. That's where this principle of cross-border cooperation comes from. So it, it should also be regarded in, in, in those terms. We should also not forget, in Britain's case, that Britain is outside the Schengen movement, uh, free movement area anyway. And so it doesn't need to leave the EU to, to have control of its borders. It, it already does have that. There's an interesting debate about whether or not Britain would then set a different kind of immigration policy, and, and it would certainly have freedom to do that. But would that mean imposing visa restrictions on Germans and French and Polish people, for example? Maybe. But Britain's not going to seal its borders, so, so we'll still have students and businessmen um, uh, and tourists coming to Britain. And it would still be faced, in security terms, with, with the task of identifying who among them are represent a, a threat to Britain's security. The point is, at that point, if it no longer has access to the Schengen information system, if it has reduced access to Europol and other systems, it will have less of an ability to identify those people as they came in. So whereas on one side, more flexibility to set a different policy, on the other side, be careful what you wish for. You might find out that, that your borders have become less secure because you no longer have the instruments that you're currently relying on to keep the borders safe. Okay, one final question. Um, what, in your judgment, is, is the biggest single uh, concern you have at the moment in the broad security migration area? And, and how, a link to that, how confident are, confident are you, with, you know, with due kind of caveats and health warnings, that you're in a position, you and your colleagues, to address that major concern of yours? I think that you can't escape the fact that the most immediate pressing security challenge that Europe faces is from this particular brand of international terrorism that the IS currently uh, demonstrates, uh, and you know, the events of, of the last few months in Paris and Brussels are, are, are clear to everyone. And, and that remains a, a highly dangerous terrorist threat, and we focused at Europol in other areas dealing with that. I think that the, the longer term, more durable, because I think we will defeat IS finally, um, the longer, more durable concern I have is, is, is around the cyberspace, around the, the, the gap that seems to be widening between uh, law enforcement's ability to track terrorist and criminal activity online uh, and our adversary's ability to abuse those technological advances. That's the tougher nut to crack and, and, is, and is there with us for a, for a generation. So um, it makes my job busy and challenging most days. Okay. Robert, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Paul.